You're listening to the Foreign and International Medical Graduate Show, a podcast to inspire physicians in the process of immigration to the United States and access to graduate medical education. We create meaningful and helpful content that motivates medical students and doctors throughout the world with the goal of creating a community that supports itself and gives feedback to each other, that stays updated with the most recent tips and advice on how to make it in America and become a successful resident or fellow in the speciality of your dreams. Dr. Alonso Osorio is board certified and residency trained in both emergency and family medicine and will be bringing you 20 years of his personal experiences, struggles and motivation. We'll be chatting with people like you to talk about the lessons they've learned along their personal path, how to make an impact and how we can all benefit from it. Also, we'll analyze the current resources available and how to benefit from them. Thanks for joining us. Please enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to episode number nine. I am here today in the beautiful Tampa Bay area. Literally, I'm by the water in Davis Island with Dr. James Gillen. Dr. Jim Gillen was kind enough to allow me to come into his apartment and his house and record this show. I'm extremely excited because I have a remarkable amount of respect for Dr. Gillen. I would say uh, it's been now since I graduated from the residency training in 2011, nine years, and we have stayed in touch somehow through these years. And he has seen me, I would say, prosper and progress as a mature attending. And literally, I would say, is one of the characters that really made me work hard and influence my residency training program at Tampa General Hospital with the University of South Florida. So Dr. Gillen has an extremely vast uh, professional experience in emergency medicine uh, and has been a teacher and educator for most of his career. Right now he has uh, a practice at Tampa General Hospital. He's part of the teaching uh, staff uh, with the University of South Florida at Tampa General. So he's going to introduce himself a little bit because I don't think no one uh, else can do it better than himself. So we're all ears, Dr. Gillen. Thank you, Alonso. Uh, again, my name is Jim Gillen. I'm the education director for the USF's Emergency Medicine Residency Program. I've been here about 11 years. I actually started graduating medical school in 1981. And when I applied to emergency medicine, I was told I should become a real doctor and apply to internal medicine or surgery and not, not apply to that, that renegade specialty called, called emergency medicine. So what I did was I did one year of internal medicine at Geisinger Medical Center and immediately realized that internal medicine was not for me and I switched over to emergency medicine. My, my program director then, Dr. John Skinzelowski, accepted me. I was in his office in August of my intern year saying, please, please, please take me. These internists are killing me. And uh, with their trivial pursuit, and no one got better. We just took them from the nursing homes and then sent them back. And so he's kind enough to accept me. And I did three years at Geisinger Medical Center where we flew helicopters. I, I flew in helicopters for, for two years flying all over the state. We covered a population base of about two million people. And then I was chief resident my last year. I graduated in 1985. Uh, my first job was at Jersey Shore Medical Center in Neptune, New Jersey. My plan was to start a residency there in New Jersey. And like most graduates, I was sold a bill of goods, which was not true. So I went back to Geisinger after six months 
and uh, was assistant residency director uh, right out right at the ball park in January of 1986. And because of some fates uh, with the, the then chairman, I was then a residency director. One year out after graduating my residency, I was now a residency director in 1986. Wow. And I had that position for the next 12 years. So basically I was, I was teaching these, these young, uh, young residents. I was, we were all learning together. And uh, I started a program of, of board review, had them read Titanelli cover to cover. Titanelli then was only about a thousand pages and we could do that in a year. Now uh, Titanelli is about 3000 pages and the, and the font has gotten a lot smaller. So it's, it's a lot more difficult to do that. But I started a reading program. We had tests every month and I actually published a paper proving that they improved, but instituting this program, we're able to improve their in-service examination scores. So I did that uh, until 1998. When I left, I now had four children, and they had to go to uh, to college, and I really couldn't afford to send them to college on that kind of salary. Plus, the cold was driving us crazy. I think we had a little little bit of a mood disorder with the, with the weather. Seasonal Ooh. affective disorder, huh? Yes, uh, seasonal affective disorder was was my my plight. Uh, come October, when it got cold, and I had to put the golf clubs away, I I promptly became depressed, and by February, I I probably uh, was was not. Could have used a, an, a some type of lighting device to improve my my mood. I was actually about to buy a full spectrum light, but instead we moved to South Carolina. I worked at the Richland Memorial uh, program there for for about ten years before I came to Tampa General. Wow! And actually, my one of my chief residents, Dr. Kelly O'Keefe, invited me to come to USF and Tampa General. And at that at that time, USF was very advanced, and every third year medical student had to come through the emergency department. So my, my charge was to take these 120 white coats, get them through the uh, department and give them lectures and eventually a progress to running the fourth year medical student rotation. I'm now the education director for 30 residents uh, here at Tampa General and USF. We have a core faculty of 10. Uh, we have 30 residents. We have fellows in ultrasound, also administrative fellow, and also now simulation. We're starting our own simulation fellowship as well as as EMS. And the, the program's progressing. We, we're now seeing about 100,000, 102,000 visits per year. Per year. And I'm extremely appreciative of this uh, residency program. Obviously, in the future, I'm going to try to bring Dr. Kelly O'Keefe into his program. That was, as you were made aware, was his uh, student uh, resident. And now Dr. O'Keefe is running the residency program in Sarasota for FSU. And Dr. Gillen is uh, here in Tampa with us. So the reason why we brought Dr. Gillen is because as a foreign medical grad and for those international medical graduates out there, we wanted to get the, the opinion from somebody that has been extremely well-versed and in contact with people like me for many, many years. How many years you would say 35, 40? Uh, I've been in, I've been attending for uh, 35 years. I've been had an MD for 39 years. So we all know that getting into medical school, first of all, is extremely competitive. So some statistics, uh, for example, on how competitive to become a doctor in America. Every year we have from the allopathic medical school grads in America, about 19,500 plus, almost, I would say almost 20,000 allopath allopathic doctors. And Doctor of Osteopathic Medicine, or what they call in the United States a DO, is about 6,000 and a half. So out of those grads, probably counting all together, 
close to 25,000, they will flood the market immediately uh, during the match uh, process starting like in October uh, of the, the f fighting for the total amount of applications of, uh, positions available. Just uh, released the 2017 uh, match uh, data revealed that including uh, foreign medical and international medical grads and U.S. grads, there were more than 43,000 applicants per year for a total of 31,000 residency positions in the United States. So what I'm seeing is a remarkably a steep curve, a very selective process in which only the best are going to be selected to be part of this VIP group of residents that are going to be t uh, training in the teaching hospitals in the United States. So when I was here, I noticed that you guys do a very delicate, elaborate, extensive, and excruciating, fatiguing selection process that lasts how long? Uh, we start interviewing in October, and we go through January, and uh, we make our final rank list in uh, mid-February. That's when the fourth-year students make their rank list as well, and match is usually around March 17th, usually on St. Patrick's Day, is when we start finding out who we matched and the medical students and residents find out who did not match as well. So how many applicants do you have per year just for the emergency medicine program here? Well, at our program, I, I could guesstimate. We have, first of all, we have 10 residents per year. So we're having in an excess of 1,500 people applying for 10 spots. We interview, I think this year, about 160 plus for those 10 slots. Wow, that's impressive. 1,500 applicants, combination of U.S. nationals and foreign grads for 10 residency spots. Wow. I think we were six during my class or seven? Yes. Six, six when, when, when I came along. So imagine that. You know already my story uh, on how I ended up matching. So my question now goes into over the years that you've been doing this and uh, selecting residents, what do you think has been the trend in the behavior and the quality of the foreign medical grads coming into America? Okay. Well, I think first of all, there's two categories. There, there's, there's foreign grads that are coming from Caribbean schools and often they're, they're, uh, they want undergraduate in the United States. They're, they're American citizens and they're applying from the Caribbean schools. And then you've got people coming from, from outside that realm, all countries all over the world applying. I think the, uh, the one thing we're seeing is an increase in medical students graduating, but a decrease in residency slots. So where in the 80s and 90s, if you finished medical school, you were guaranteed a spot. If you were an allopathic or an osteopathic graduate, you had a spot. It may be family practice, not to put down family practice, but at that time it was least competitive. And you may be in, uh, say, uh, a not popular state, uh, you, you may not be in, in New York or Florida or California, you may end up in places like the Dakotas or the Midwest where it's not as competitive as the, the most wanted residencies. But you were guaranteed in the 80s and 90s to have a slot. Now with the funding change, uh, those US graduates are not guaranteed a spot. So that is becoming more competitive from their standpoint where these people are incurring debt 
of $200,000, dollars $4,000, and they are not necessarily guaranteed a residency slot. And they sometimes have to do a year of research or do a year of something uh, beyond just being a doctor, which is disturbing. That now, combined with the FMGs coming in, makes things more and more competitive. Not, not to, to throw, make people depressed out there, but it is it is more and more competitive, and it's and it's become more and more difficult for American uh, graduates as well as foreign graduates to get a a spot in an ACGME approved uh, residency. residency in the United States. So. For our listeners that are completely unaware of how the system in the United States, uh, most of the residency programs in the United States, and please correct me, Dr. Gilliam, if I'm wrong, are funded uh, by uh, the government of the United States, the federal government. They want to train their doctors. So there is an allocation of funding from the federal government that goes into every teaching uh, residency program in America academic, non-academic, community-based uh, or urban-based. And that money, along with some other funding from the medical school, puts together a small salary that ranges somewhere in between 42000 to 49000 I would say. Maybe fifty-five or so. Maybe fifty-five. Depending where you live. Depend, depending where you live. And that will have to cover for books, meals, uniforms, lab coats, and, you know, any other supplies that, that we might require. Obviously, uh, it has a lot of perks because it, in Colombia, for example, we have to pay for graduate education, for postgraduate uh, residency medical education. And, and here in America, we're getting paid to do this job. So uh, I think it's fantastic. Can, can you add a little bit more on that funding and, and how really the government uh, has worked on that? The government has decided that they only want new residency programs. Like USF, we have 10 residents per year. We could easily expand that. But we're told that their government is not interested in expanding existing residencies, but they're interested in funding new residencies. So the community hospitals throughout Florida are now starting residencies and specifically for emergency medicine, where five years ago we only had six EM programs. We now have 18 residency programs in the state of Florida. I don't know how each, each state is uh, dictates who where the new residency slots go, but in the state of Florida, it's dedicated to new programs. And again, in EM, it's gone from six to 18 programs. Wow. I mean, I thought that it was extremely selective. How do you think that's going to affect the local market? And like, you think this is going to drive the amount of income down? Or mm -hmm. you think these people are going to be going somewhere else? Because most of the residents that train in that city stay around that city or close to that program. Or do you see these people spreading across the United States into rural areas? Or, or you think they're going to stay locally? Well, one of our adages is that everyone from Florida stays in Florida. And everyone does a residency in Florida, stays in Florida. So the, it's, it's a great place to be, great place to live. And obviously, it's an expanding state. And we have a lot of old people that, that need medical care. But with this new expansion from 6 to 18 programs, I think Florida is going to change from, from, uh, from being a place that trains residents to stay in Florida to being a training center comparable to New York and Chicago and, and L.A. And, and, the, and the Ivy Leagues where... People will train in Florida and now they will leave Florida because I think because of supply and demands, you know, quite honestly, 
the salaries of EM positions will, will not increase as they were. Um, with the expansion of nurse practitioners and with, with the various regulations that are coming down and the politics are, as such, I don't foresee EM salaries increasing on an annual basis uh, as they have in the past. We're very well paid now. Uh, and I think it's a great specialty, but I would not go into it thinking that it's going to be be more lucrative in the future, uh, more lucrative than it is right now. Okay. So out of the top of your head, how many foreign medical grads have gone through the residency program at USF? I would say probably we can count them within 10 fingers. I, I would say, you know, it, again, it depends on, on who you consider a foreign medical graduate. I think we have uh, we had more Caribbean students uh, earlier in the program, and uh, now there's there's probably less of those of those international graduates. Alonso, obviously, you you were an exceptional resident, but you were an exception to the rule. And the foreign two foreign graduates, there was one who was from Germany, but he's actually an American citizen who trained in Germany. But uh, Andrew Wilson, yeah, Andrew Wilson, who we're, we're we're still very much in communication with, but uh, I'm not aware of any other foreign graduates in the last five years. Yeah. I'm thinking here, your perception about FMGs has changed through your career. Mm-hmm. How do you see them now to the way you used to see them five years ago to the way you used to see them 10 years ago? What do you look, if you're really considering an FMG to be selected among a residency program, what do you think are the strengths or the things that you should see on their uh, application that would make them stand out? Or what, what kind of stuff you, you see on them that could potentially make them be a good candidate to be a resident in, in, in a specific residency program? Um, first of all, I think you hate to say it, but it's a numbers game. And and your your step one and step two scores are extremely important. We go through, again, we're going through 1,500 applications for 10, 10 spots. We can't interview everybody. So the, the first draft is going to be step one and step two scores. That's the filter. Yeah. Step one and step that, two. That's definitely a filter. And... Then it's 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 slows standard letters of, of of evaluation standard letters of recommendation that you may or may not have in the specialty you're applying to, but you need to have great letters. You need to do fourth year rotations in places that are reputable and that have residencies in the specialty you're interested in, and they meet, need to come from a reputable place. Coming from a letter from a community hospital does not carry the weight uh, of a university medical school with a residency program. So you, you need to get letters from strong people within the specialty itself. But again, those numbers are key and letters of recommendation are key. So doing fourth year medical student rotations in places with residencies and doing a great job there and getting an honors on those, those rotations are, are key as well. Um, I think you need to look at it as, as realizing that if, if allopathic and osteopathic medical st- students are not able to match that you've really got to be a great applicant to be to be able to snatch one of those prize residency positions in the united states it's possible but you really have to be on top of your game these these people that we're training with uh, the american applicants are extremely competitive when you start looking at their applications package because i was part of the residency review committee kind of helping going through those large number of applicants i felt overwhelmed by the quality of applicants mm-hmm. and and, and I, I would put myself in comparison to them. And I don't think I was not even close to the quality of 
the letters of recommendations, rotations, and, and the things that they have done in their life even before they became physicians. So it, it's it was remarkably surprising to see that. I, I don't know. For me, it was a miracle. I, I as I keep saying on and on, I just thank Dr. Kelly O'Keefe. I think you were the, here already when when or you came exactly the year I, that I, I joined the program, two thousand and eight. I started here in March in two thousand and eight. I think you were here in what January two thousand eight. I came March first. March first. Okay. All right. So you and I started about the same, the same time. The same time. Uh, fantastic times. Now, looking back, I know that you always push me to the limits. Uh, Closer to the time that I was about to become a senior resident, you were making me run the pod. You were making me see every patient. I do remember a day that I headed out to the restroom and we had these little devices that used to communicate. And I'm literally using the, the bathroom and he calls me, Alonso, trauma coming two minutes out. Whatever you're doing, get your butt over here. And then you just did this to me. You you made me see every patient, and then you would tell me, Alonso, in room number one, you have a GA bleeder. In room number three, you have a chest pain. In room number five, you have a female with a pelvic pain. Where do you want to go first? Come on. So what are you going to do? What the tests are you going to order? I don't know if you remember those type of situations. I was like, oh, my God. I thought he had, like, like something after me. But I think years later, I realized that they were all good intentions. Um you guys, I don't remember who told me this, but you guys really needed to tweak my family medicine thinking process into being more like an emergent physician type of, of, of process. Mm -hmm. And I consider you fundamental. I, 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 uh, despite the fact that we don't talk that often, I consider you a friend. I have a great amount of respect for you, what you did for me, what you keep doing for all these residents. And, and, and I cannot thank you enough for, for everything. So what type of advice would you give to other than having a strong letters of recommendation or than having a fantastic application or than having great scores would you give to a foreign medical grad? Because I'm going to tell you the truth. Nowadays, for a foreign medical grad to get a rotation in the United States, a, a clinical rotation with direct page, patient contact, it is almost impossible. If you get the opportunity to come and do an observership, now they're charging $1,000 a month compared to the $100 that I used to pay for, for these observerships. An observership obviously is no hands-on, kind of following along, no touching patients, just watching. And the other difficult situation is that you do these rotations for only a month you know, two to four weeks, sometimes a little longer. And the contact and exposure that you have with the attendings that are the top guys that will write a letter of recommendation for you is minimal. In a month, I don't think you can get to know a person really well. Many of these US applicants have had longstanding relationships with these attendings through med school. Um, you know, specifically during the third and fourth year, they do a lot of externships and, and, and elective rotations in the specialty of their choice. So, as a foreign medical grad, I think that I'm in a disadvantage uh, when I'm applying for a residency spot and with, with, with an American grad. And, and those letters of recommendations sometimes that we're getting are not as strong. I mean, you see these letter of recommendations from these American applicants, American students that are impressive. And they talk about them like they're the next best thing ever. 
that pop up in the middle of the desert, you know, and, and I don't know what else you think you, you could say to anyone that, that is a foreign medical graduate out there should do or try to do to look good and try to make it in the U.S. Well, I think, uh, first of all, getting a mentor, getting, getting someone, getting a foothold in, the, in this country, I think, is key. And someone who can direct you through the process, who knows the process, especially another foreign medical graduate that's, that's become established in this country, I think is very, very key. Coming in cold and not knowing the, the lay of the land, I think is, is very, very difficult. I think also if you are a foreign graduate applying uh, to an American uh, residency program, I think you have to be realistic about not only how competitive it, it is, but it's competitive by specialty. So the most competitive specialties are neurosurgery, orthopedics, ophthalmology, urology, dermatology. Um, those are just super, super hard to get into, even if you're an American graduate with, with great pores and great letters. Um, not to put down family and internal medicine, but I think those are less competitive than perhaps getting your, 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 a foothold in this country in family or internal medicine and be willing to go to the, you know, the Midwest or to Alaska or to North Dakota, Nebraska. Or Minnesota, Nebraska, someplace in the country in their rural area in, uh, where people uh, are not flocking to. And again, it's, it's in the, the old days, you used to be able to get a spot in New York City because they had such a need for residents, but they're using foreign medical grads as, as their, their workforce. And, uh, and with that, they, they, they gave them a residency diploma. But nowadays, just things are super tight. And it's just hard to get. I'm not trying to be uh, pessimistic. I'm just trying to be realistic. And uh, having a mentor, having someone who's established in this country, I think is key. And if they're willing to sponsor you and willing to show you the ropes and get you through, uh, I think that's helpful. And again, your your numbers have to look good. You, and uh, when you finally do get a rotation, suit up and show up. We have uh, we had a former resident, Dr. Jack Reynolds. And you an expression, there is no on time. You're either early or you're late. So if you are if you get that golden uh, key and you're finally doing a rotation, you show up early, you show up late, you you show up clean, pardon my, my alarm there, you show up clean shaven, uh, you're no wrinkles, uh, you, uh, you're enthusiastic, nothing negative. Uh, drug free. Drug free. You're very positive about everything. And the people start talking negatives or talking bad or talking gossip just don't get involved because you don't want to be labeled as the one who's who has an opinion that that perhaps is not the proper opinion of the day so just you know suit up and show up and and uh, well scrub and the same thing for the interview process if you get an interview okay now is not the time to show off your your, your fancy clothes or wear fancy pins uh we were just doing our rank list the other other day and then we were going over this candidate and said, yeah. oh, yeah, she's the one with the pink hair and the bright red glasses. Well, suddenly she she dropped down the list just because we remember, remember her, not her board scores, but her pink hair and her, her bright red glasses. And so you want to be conservative. You want to uh, look look the part. You're, you're interviewing for a position. You want to, you're interviewing to be a board certified uh, physician in the United States of America. And with that... You, you dress conservative, you wear your, your suit, your best suit, a white shirt and a tie, or a blue blue uh, shirt and tie, and you look the part. And uh, if you're thinking about beard, no beard, go with a no beard, okay? You want to look look sharp. Wow, those are fantastic tips. 
Well, um, I want to tell you guys that um, I would be more than happy to be your mentor, uh, help you to show you the, the ropes. My goal as I move along with this podcast is to be a consulting uh, solution for you guys. And I'll be available in the near future for further consultation. Remember to follow me at my website, uh, www.fmg-img.com. And this podcast will be within the next uh, week be posted on iTunes. And I want you to go into the website, especially be, uh, uh, into the podcast, especially being a new podcast. It is extremely important for you guys to give me a review. And if you want to leave me a review, a five-star review would be fantastic. That's going to make me go up in the rankings. Having somebody like, like Dr. Gillen here, uh, it's amazing because he has such a breadth of knowledge. And I want you all to get a little bit of the behind the scenes uh, type of information that he has had over all these years. Uh, anything else you want to tell us that could potentially be crucial in this application process? Well, just, just have someone else read the application, especially if you're writing an essay. Uh, if English is your, is your second language. Um, again, everything is looked at with a fine-tooth comb. So have someone with an, an English background or, or even for, uh, for a, someone with a, who's American with a biology degree or a chemistry degree, uh, take your essays and give it to someone who has uh, an English degree and have as someone who has some knowledge of grammar because uh, doctors can't read or write, uh, or I'm sorry, we can't write with our handwriting. Uh, so, so have someone who has some knowledge about the language so that, again, everything is perfect on your application. You don't want any faux pas. You don't want any grammatical mistakes. You don't want any misspellings. Uh, you want everything to look perfect. Then good luck. Awesome. Well, thank you for your time today, taking time out of your Saturday, your day off to be here with me. And thank you for opening the doors of your apartment. I hope this uh, goes well and I get plenty of feedback. And, and, and guys, just keep working hard. I know sometimes it feels that it's an uphill battle, but one thing I can tell you about the United States, if you follow all those requirements, if you work hard, if you are committed, if you have a dream, if you have a goal, I don't think there is anything that cannot be done. I think everything is within reach. You might need to work extremely hard for it, but this country will open the doors eventually for you if you really prove yourself and give yourself a good reputation. And, and eventually you're going to need someone that will pop up and give you the chance and that will happen. For me, it happened to be here in Tampa. And I'm extremely grateful for it. And I cannot thank the Lord enough and will continue to do what is the right thing. So hit me up, look me up, share this information. I hope that all of you like it. Uh, next episode, we're going to be trying to bring some people to talk about the uh, SOAP, the supplemental offering application process for the people that didn't match. I'm going to go into the details and a specific on how that goes. Back in my time, that was called the Scramble. And uh, we're going to be talking more about that. Dr. Gillen, thank you so much for being here. Dr. Alonso Osorio, thank you for inviting me. This thank has been you. Fun. God bless you. God bless you, sir.